Man, I really feel the presence and the love of God today, don't you? I was thinking before I heard uh, what Ryan did, and he just shared about, you know, coming down and, and receiving and responding to the Lord who's abundant mercy. I was just thinking of what a privilege it is for me as a pastor to work with all of you. And uh, that's through the good and the bad of your life, you know. I know it's church, and I'm, I'm outside the comfort zone because it's not just something we can yell Jesus. We're actually talking about your life, which your life isn't all Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is the reason we can live and exist? He created us. But there's a lot of issues that we go through in life that we apply Jesus to it, but it's not necessarily Jesus. When you're lonely, the devil didn't make you lonely. Jesus didn't make you lonely. You're lonely because maybe you're single and you really would rather have a meaningful relationship. It's not there yet. And you're just lonely. And uh, in life, you need people that walk with you through the good, the bad, and the indifferent. We've been talking about relationships. And uh, relationships mean a ton to me. You may not know this about me, but um, I've learned to be really extroverted because that's how you sell things. That's how you move things. I can spend a lot, a lot of time alone. And um, especially with God, there are times when I take two or three days. Sometimes I'll drive to the coast and I'll go the back route through Applegate. It seems like as soon as I'm driving out of town, I start to breathe really deeply. And I just unwind. I, I unwind not at a conference even great conferences. I don't unwind there. I unwind when I get alone with God. <clears throat> so after I've been with God a lot, I'm with people a lot. And I find that relationship is the lifeblood between God and between humans. We live in an environment and our networking and all of our high-tech toys make us feel like we're interacting, but we're not interacting with anything but a TV screen. Um, I understand technology. I understand <laughs> Mac. I understand PC. I understand Linux. I understand TV technology, satellite technology, and a lot of those things. So I don't live in a bubble where I'm just kind of like swinging an ax in the back 40. And, and with all of those cool things that I love, I love great internet connection. I love all those things, but I see that the negative side of it is that people are isolated and they go to synthetic friends instead of real friends. Like the one girl that's set to achieve the record of like 20,000 Facebook friends. Well, really, how deep are those relationships? A friend, a Facebook friend is someone that acknowledges that they'd kind of like to hear from you. It doesn't mean that's your bestie that doesn't mean that's the person you can borrow $20 from. Relationships mean everything. And today we're gonna to talk about the second phase. The first phase was how to align ourselves for good relationships. And we did the trick thing where we asked people, who all is in a relationship? And just a, you know, a number of people raised their hand, like I'm married, or I've got a significant uh, guy or girl, 
you know, I've got someone in my life. And then the rest had their hands down, not realizing that if you breathe and you talk to the person at the gas station, you're in a relationship. Everyone is in a relationship. Okay, I thank God that my mama is here. She's still alive. She's, uh, she's like Chris, don't mess with her. She'll take off a high heel and hurt you if you talk negatively about me. My mom is affirming. She tells me I'm skinny, I need to eat more. No matter how fat I've been, she's told me that because she loves me. But my mom had seven children and uh, two, two have gone on to be with the Lord. One had, at six months old, he was a younger brother to me. And yet, so I grew up in my life for the, the biggest part of my life with six of us kids. There's an advantage, friends, of having more than one child. I, I really think the fun begins when you have three or more. You need it. That way, if you kill one of them, you've got some spares. <laughs> don't feel condemned if you don't have a bunch of kids. Pastor Denny Martinez moved here. They had two children, Aaron and Amber, or Amber and Aaron, and uh, he started seeing the family emphasis. He reversed the curse, had his vasectomy, uh, and then he didn't know to stop. They had four more. So there's six Martinez's. There were six of us Schmelzer kids, and uh, we, we learned how to deal with discomfort in relationships. That's the, that's the beauty of larger families is that you, you, you can't just suck up the whole meal when, when there's five other kids that need to eat. And so trust me, my, my older sisters, if I got out of line, they would reel me into the Peloton. They would beat the fire out of me. Cindy taught English for a while to a small group of us neighborhood kids. And if we didn't pronounce things right, she'd slap us. It was, it was primeval, it was barbaric, and I'll never forgive her for it. But she brings me good food and she's making up for it. But we learned about overcoming the difficulty of relationship. And this is what we're talking about this morning is we're talking about the second tool that we get in building good relationships. Everything moves on relational lines. We need to learn how to talk to God. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. What were they really asking? We need to have a relationship with the Father like you have with the Father. We need to, how to, we need to learn how to talk. So many people that have so much to give, they're, they're stumbling over the communication barrier because maybe when they speak, they speak where it sounds harsh and it's not really their heart. I've actually coached, coached people to say, you've got to quit speaking that way. Your very diction, the very timing, and how you ask something sounds like it's an assault, and it turns people off, and they already don't want to like you. When I know there's so much good there, they need to see that good, but it's been blocked because you don't know how to talk well. Communicating. Using gestures with your eyes. Do you affirm people when you talk? Do you look at them with, with a come on look, not a flirty come on, but a come on, keep talking. I'm interested in your story. You mean something to me. Or is it like... Come on now. 
years ago in 1987, I remember, because it was the year that I went to Dr. Cho's conference, we had, we had sponsored, uh, sponsored a conference with another church. And the guest speaker was, was a guy from, uh, you know, from uh, the Valley, from uh, Fre Fresno. And, uh, and I saw him at the conference in Seoul. And I went up, it was just the week before. And so I'm in Korea and I see this guy and I go to him, hi, you know, I was just one of the sponsoring churches, you know, that had you last week up in Medford, Oregon. And he goes, oh, uh-huh. Okay, what did I think? Oh, I felt warmed and nurtured, right? No, I felt, wow, this was uncomfortable. It would be a cold day in hell before I'd ever call him for anything. He didn't say, he didn't bring me in. He didn't say, I had a good time, or boy, work in Medford was a rough crowd. He just basically said, you're in my space. Relationships, they can be difficult. Today we're going to talk about the second tool of good relationships, and that is the ability to embrace discomfort. Wow. Isn't that funny when you get married? When I got married, I thought Kim was going to be really impressed with me. She told me, don't go changing to some new fashion. Until we got married and she threw all my clothes away. I was pert near naked. I thought you liked my Mason shoes I bought from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin with a lifetime guarantee. They got thrown away. We'd only been married four weeks. How many of you know that we have classes to train people that marriage isn't just going to be running through the daisies and laughing and, <laughs> I love her. But the real good stuff, the real maturity happens <laughs> when she tells you, listen, Fritz, the game's over now. <laughs> and there's a little bit of discomfort involved here. How many of you know raising good kids, they've got to come to a point where they meet Mr. Paddle and they realize King Baby's not going to rule the house. I don't want you throwing your Cheerios off your high chair. There's going to be slap hands. There's going to be some kind of deterrent to help bring you into a way more perfect. Some of us don't like to embrace discomfort. We need to get good at embracing it because how we feel is not necessarily an accurate indicator of what we should do. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as the father corrects a child in whom he delights. This has been a great comfort to me, because see, in my walk with God, every, every week doesn't seem miraculous. <laughs> you know, there are some days in... You know, I look in the mirror and I, it looks just like Steve. It's not like the holy man of God ready to shave or whatever I do, used to do. I just see a guy that's living on the earth. 
Now, believe it or not, because I've known this scripture for a long time, that when he chastens me, it's a sign of his connectivity to me. Just like never again will I discipline someone else's child in Safeway. I just got tired of wearing an orange suit and picking up stuff. You know what I'm saying? You can't spank people's kids at Walmart, even if they need it. Never again. God doesn't do that. The Bible basically speaks of the unregenerate or they're like unfathered children. And there's no correction. Life will have its own corrective thing, but God really takes those that are his. They're the ones that receive the discipline. So when I have the Lord convict me of something, I appreciate that my conscience isn't seared. I want to die with a tender conscience. I don't want to be hardened off. I don't want any of you to be hardened off. The fact that you feel bad and you, you know you have an attitude or you say something and you just you feel like you want to throw up because it was so stupid and why did I say that? Why did I hurt this one? I had a near miss in London, England. That as I share it, you can tell I'm already emotional. Gino and I, my son, were traveling to Africa. And we were, had a couple days, we are going to be in London. And uh, I had a fairly nice camera that we were taking. And on the, on the, on the tube, uh, Gino set it aside and we left and lost it. And before I read him out, the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Don't hurt him. Because my inner tightwad was upset about the loss of a piece of plastic and metal. Not realizing that within two years, the telephones were going to be better cameras than what I was shooting with. And so I, I heard the Holy Spirit. And I said, Gino, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We, we'll contact Lost and Found and it, most likely it'll be here when we get back. Well, I think somebody in England was enjoying that camera. Gino and I had a memorable father-son trip. We went to Stonehenge. We went to Bath. We went to Africa. We came home and found out the camera was gone, but my discomfort was way gone. And we have such beautiful memories of that trip. I'm so glad I didn't scar him. How do you know that many of us, we have wounds where someone just read us, reamed us, diminished us. I can't take away what you've seen, but I can certainly say this. We don't have to keep doing that. We've got to be cycle breakers. Understanding that doing what's right may be uncomfortable. My flesh was upset, but my spirit said, chill. And I'm so glad. Because what you feel today may not be what you're going to feel. And you can't just be led by, 
I'm going to be led by what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with. God's discipline is unpleasant, but it is good. Our initial response is not to like God's discipline. Or when we are placed by God into a whole new set of relationships, maybe you're brand new on a job and and you've got to navigate the relationships in the new workplace. They say that the first day in a new job is the worst day. And I understand, you're going into a new work environment, there's all kinds of landmines available. You know, who, who kind of runs the office really behind the boss, you know, and, and all this, and you're trying to be a good person, and it's just, ah! And sometimes we miss the time when God would like us to step up and, and, and go into the um, difficult zone, the, the discomfort zone, for a positive reason. But God's discipline is profitable for two big reasons. One, it proves God loves us. God loves you because you're a child. He cares. It's so funny. Every time I teach about God, it just family comes to my mind, family comes to my mind. If we would see how God raises his family, if we just try to imitate that, we're going to be in good ground. People ask me all the time, well, what books did you read to help your parenting? I said I read the Bible and what God is as a father. I tried to imitate that. He doesn't lie. I shouldn't lie. He's self-controlled. I need to be self-controlled. He's generous. He, he eats last. I should eat last. He's sacrificial. I should be sacrificial. See, how do you know that, that if, we want, if we took our parenting example right from Father God, we're going to all be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers, better sons, better daughters. And so I, I read this. It proves God loves us. He meddles in our life because he loves us. The same reason that a good parent is wanting to know, where are you at midnight? Hello? Well, how long does that last? As long as they're alive? Huh? I kind of like to know where Jake's at at midnight. Huh? Because I know he's a homebody like me. If he's not home, something's wrong. Do you need a tow? Do you need a lift? You in, a, in an all-night counseling situation? Hello? Well, I just, you know, our kids got to find their own way. No, they don't. They need to have parents that help lead the way. Okay. That was meddling. That was free. Don't even pay for that. <laughs> Number two, it leads to a desirable outcome. None of us want to be known as the undisciplined, unprofitable, <laughs> bad with our money, undisciplined in our prayer life, in our faith. And we celebrate those who are disciplined. We just celebrated the Olympics. I've never had anybody say, hey, where do I find the highlights for the guy that finished seventh in the skeet shoot? You know, but people will say, hey, where do I find that crazy American lady that just came scooting up past the Norwegian girl and the, and the, and the Swedish girl to win that cross-country race? I want to see that footage. We want to see the person that gutted it out, like Sean White, that about three months before the Olympics, he was doing some snowboard uh, uh, tricks and things in New Zealand, and he hit the side of the, of the half pipe and, on hard ice, and it tore up the inside of his mouth, and he, he, he bit through his tongue. 
And he had to gut it out because, see, when you're going to go to the Olympics, you have to go to a whole nother level. And he had to see if he had the resolve. That's why the footage that's really some of the most precious is not just him winning the gold, but his tears as he ran to his mother and his father because he embraced the uncomfortable thing and he came out like a lion. Remember when he used to have that long curly red hair? It was good. Luke, stand up. You kind of look like he used to look. <laughs> yeah, there was Sean before, yeah. This is the closest we have, so uh, if you have any money or gifts you want to give for Sean, just give it to, give it to Luke. He'll take it. There are things that make us uncomfortable in our relationships, and sometimes when we're uncomfortable, we back way off. Things like uh, confrontation. I don't do confrontation well. I really, if, if, if I work with you to be a good leader, I'm going to train you how you need to not only become good at it, but begin to realize confrontation is the path of life for the teachable. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. Confrontation is the pathway of life for the teachable. One of the marks of, of guys that haven't had a father is they try to look like they got it already. Man, my man, we got it going down. You know, we got all the answers. But humility is to find, you, 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 you want to end up with a, with a dynamic, great business, young man? Get a hold of some multimillionaire whose son wigged out on drugs. Show up at his job, be the best employee, and always ask him for lots of counsel and advice and be teachable. Many people are turning their business over to non-relatives because their relatives have checked out. And who are they looking for? Not the dude that's running around like, me and my man, we got it worked out, man. We know nobody's going to tell us what to do, you know. Taking no crud from nobody. My problem is I've been to America. So when I preach, I preach from our culture, what I've seen. And when I get fatherless children around me, I tell them, cut the fluff. You got a real daddy that'll love you. And the first thing I'll do is when you're stupid, I'll tell you to shut your mouth and listen up for a while. Well, that's harsh. That's not enriching. That's because I'm not a girl. That's called the daddy vitamin that's needed. Is first of all, get some order, get some teachability, get some humility, and understand that confrontation is not rejection. Correction is not rejection. Correction or confrontation is the means of life for the teachable. And with the unteachable, even God himself says there's nothing but consequences that face them. And so sometimes, whether it's our relationship with God, it's our relationship with our mate, it's our relationship with our small group leader, sometimes we're going to pull back because I don't do confrontation. Number two, vulnerability. I'm going to read these because I'm taking more time along the way and I've got a lot of notes. Showing weakness. I don't want to look weak. Being caught off guard. I don't want to be caught off guard. Guilt. Being around people, it reminds me of my past. Can I tell you something? Best place to overcome your past is right where you, you failed. Hello? Well, you know, I've got such a past. I need to move to Borneo. 
You're going to be tormented in Borneo and the best place is the place where you failed. Come back and say, I'm a new person. The demoniac of Gadara had a lot to be to move out on. And Jesus said, you know, you go back to Decapolis, the 10 cities, and share what great things God's done for you. Yeah, but everybody saw me naked. Well, then they're familiar with you, so just keep preaching. <laughs> I read that story all the time to feel good about my past in, 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 in the ministry here, where embarrassing moments where you feel naked. Medford's the place I've had is my blackboard, and it's the place I need to stick it out till God moves me on. I'm going to rise or fall right in front of the people that I've risen and fallen before. No, no running. No hiding. If we did some stupid stuff in the past, we're going to un unstupid and we're going to do some smart things and move on. But doing it together. I'm not going to let guilt break up my relationships. Moments you have to apologize for. I just hate to apologize. I love to apologize. You say, well, you don't apologize to me much because I don't think I'm wrong with you. You were the knucklehead. No. But sometimes, really, for me, when I know that I've done wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to apologize. I'll call someone up and say, man, I am so, I was so stupid in what I did. And I've only me to blame. Yeah, but you, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you're right. I'm, I'm guilty. Yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. What about yes, don't you agree with? I'm saying yes to I'm guilty and I'm sorry. And oh, okay, I, did, I thought you were going to defend yourself. No, I'm telling you, I'm sorry. And what I did, I'm going to restore if I can. Make it right. Success. Do you pull away when your friend has success? We had a, we had a, a dear brother here, Tommy Tenney. And Tommy Tenney uh, moved. And, uh, and, and he and his wife, and they moved back to Louisiana. And then Tommy was here and, and spent three days, he and Jeannie, with Kim and I over at the coast. And he spoke for the church. And then he went away. And about six months later, God did this miracle in Houston, and Tommy became a, uh, a well-known writer. He had about eight bestsellers. He did a movie. And all of a sudden, it's like Tommy, my friend, now become Tommy like, oh, my gosh, I didn't want to call him anymore because he's so far above me. And Tommy just called up Kim one day because he'd been trying to book a meeting, and he said, tell Steve. And he listed a date in April. He said, tell, Kim, or tell Steve, Kim, that I'm going to be on the porch of the church preaching. It'd be nice if I could come inside. What was he doing? My friend was coming to me, and he was saying, listen, you don't think anything changed here. I loved you then. I love you now. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. How many of you know a friend loves at all times? Thank God for Tommy Tanny, huh? Yeah, he's a wonderful man. Yeah, I hate him because he's so successful, though. Anyway, <laughs> need for commitment. I know I, I love him. He's precious. Um, people need you to be able to commit. It's a big thing to be able to be reliable. Things not going your way. And then the last one is when someone needs time to process what you're speaking to them. Will you allow people to take time to think through what, what you're talking about? How many, many questions don't have to be resolved next Thursday. You know, one guy came up to me years ago. He said, I don't know if I can trust you. I said, well, take a week, take a month, take a year, take a decade. <laughs> he laughed. Oh, I'd probably know by then. I said, that's fine because I'm not going anywhere. I have nothing to hide. And so the guy was able to trust me because he realized, oh, okay. He's not trying to pull anything here. Okay. 
the reward for, for avoiding pain, this is a big point, is to remain the same. Everything pays and everything debits you. If you're going to change, you're going to embrace some pain and that'll cost you. But there's a, an invoice that's sent to your address when you say, I'm not going to change. And the bill that you're going to pay by not changing is, is you are going to remain the same. How many of you know if you're in a group like this church of, of a whole congregation of people that are growing in Christ? If you're the one that says, well, no one's going to, God's not going to have to convict me. I've already determined what I'm willing to obey and not. Okay, you're going to freeze your growth. And then you're going to feel uncomfortable when all of your group grows beyond you. How many of you know that you have to kind of keep up while you're growing up? And then many times when people say they don't want to grow, they end up, they'll leave the church or they'll leave their group or they'll trade friends because, well, that friend, that group of friends pressed me too much and I just want to stay the same. Um, I like myself, but I don't want to stay the same. I want, I want to be more mature and finish my ministry still growing rather than, oh boy, he's just about the same as he was 20 years ago. There's no new ideas, no changes in his life. There was a runner by the name of, of Dean Carnazes. He was the first and only marathoner, or he, he ran the first and only marathon to the South Pole. Uh, incidentally, he came in second. <laughs> At age 44, he completed 50 marathons in 50 consecutive days one in each state of the 50 states. Sounds like someone running for office, doesn't it? 50 states, 50 days, 50 marathons. Whoa. That's a guy that's probably embraced some discomfort. So his quote will make a lot of sense. Western culture has things a little backwards right now. We think that if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness, and now we're so comfortable, we're miserable. There's no struggle in our lives, no sense of adventure. We get in a car, we get in an elevator. It all comes easy. What I've found is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and I'm in pain and I'm struggling for high achievement, and in that struggle, I think there's magic. Wow. Proverbs 20, verse 30 says, blows that hurt cleanse away evil. Well, you know, the more I try to embrace change and embrace relationships, it just seems I get, I get hit all the time. You know? No one can hurt me more than my dear friends. The Bible even speaks about the betrayal of Judas to Jesus and said, you know, he that lifted up his heel against me was my, my dear friend. Betrayal doesn't count if it's just some stranger. Some guy says he's gonna, you know, he's gonna come by and pick up the free couch you left on the, on the driveway and he doesn't show up. I don't go, oh man, I need counseling. Man, I was betrayed. No, I wasn't. Something happened and the guy didn't show up. Put it back on Craigslist under the free column. But see, when you love someone and they quit loving you while you're still loving them, that's pretty problematic. Being abandoned, being lied on, being slandered, those hurt. 
What we have to know is that the blows that come in life come and they're permitted not because God sends the pain, but he uses those pain. He uses them to bring healing to you and to cleanse evil. I'll finish up real quickly. Comfort zones, comfort zones don't keep your life safe. They keep it small. Oh, wow. We need to live our life where we come out of the comfort zone, where it feels safe, and we need to be able to live it fully, die empty. What, what, what's your statement in life? For Kim and I, we're looking at probably the last five to seven years of active oversight over this congregation. And so the way I process this now uh, is going to take a different set of skills than the way we processed it in building the congregation, etc. But one thing I can tell you about change that Kim and I are prepared to do, and that is live our life bravely. Planting the church took bravery. Turning the church over. Processing the whole new sets of social statements. Who thought we'd live in an America with the values that it doesn't have or does have? And it takes courage to just not shrink back. I'm just going to shrink back with the comfort of my cable TV. Hello? And stay in there. And stay in the game. Process well. I like what Mark Twain said. He said, embrace the uncomfortable in this way. Eat a live frog first thing every morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. <laughs> That's what my wife repeats every time she has to kiss me good morning. This is, this is as good as scripture in some ways. Eat a live frog every, the first thing every morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. Now frogs are a kind of a metaphorical look at anything you want to avoid that's important. If you have to eat two frogs, eat the ugliest, ugliest one first. And the longer you stare at, at the frog, the harder it will be. Some things you just need to kick into gear. The real pain is in the anticipation. They did, a, they did a little study on how people process the thought of mathematics, and they hooked up sensors to the brain waves, and when you said, hey, we want to talk about mathematics, pain entered their brain. As soon as you gave them the problem, the pain centers went down as they began to embrace just doing the math. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I think sometimes we get our, you know, in relationships, I... I need to talk to somebody. I need to approach a leader and get counsel. And oh man, I'd rather have a root canal. No. Determine you're going to do what's right, and it takes away the pain. Procrastination makes it worse. Move into and toward and through whatever you feel like avoiding. There's only two possibilities one, it kills you, <laughs> or two, you find out it wasn't as bad as you thought it would be, and actually brings a reward with, with it if you face it. As it says in Hebrews 12, 11 and 12, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the, the, the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Wow. 
No discipline seems joyful in the present, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now here's the, the bad news. On the heels of passing through your freshman year, and you get to be a junior and a senior and you graduate, guess what? In the new step in life, you're back to being a freshman. How many of you say, man, I've been a freshman so many times in my life. I'm tired of it. Don't get tired of it. Just be, understand every time you're re-entered as a freshman, you're, you're going into a higher grade of level of teaching and training. God's taking you somewhere else. Then finally, your thoughts and words shape your reality. Uh, it's easy to have excuses why we don't do the hard thing, the difficult thing. Um, Proverbs 22:13 says, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. That's kind of an outlandish excuse. Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Have you ever been with notable excuse makers? The hard thing with excuse makers is after a while you quit knocking on their door. See, there's a saying that says if you want something done, find a busy person. They're used to getting a lot of stuff done anyway. And so what happens is to be very, very useful in relationships, have a habit of like, yes, I'll do that, keep it simple, and then get it done, and come back and say, it's done. Did I do okay at it? Correct? The enemy will always try to get you to follow excuses and to fear the lion in the streets. But Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as the lion. Wow, Proverbs 28.1. Now, let's stand up and let's declare who we are. Okay, we're not the guy fleeing from the lion, but we are as bold as a lion. Anybody agreeing with me here? Or am I just kind of on an island on my own up here? I want us to say, I am the lion. I am the lion. <laughs> I'm bold as a lion. And so there's just three takeaways real quickly. Identify some of the hard things God is asking you to do. You know, some folks are scared to death to go to small group. Oh man, I got enough problems. I didn't want people else prying into my life. You know, sometimes we have problems because no one's been prying in our life. If I only think my thoughts, I always get my results. Sometimes by, I've uttered like absolutely crazy things. People have stopped me. God sent people to stop me. One time I had permission to invest $400,000 of the church's money into an investment. I thought it was good, the elders thought it was good. And I get a call from Albuquerque from Steve Williams, my prophetic friend. He said, Steve, I was taking a shower today. God told me to call you and tell you whatever you're thinking to do, don't. He said, does this mean anything to you? I said, yes, it does. I was just ready to invest some money. I found out later I would have lost $400,000. I'd have probably ended my ministry here. I want to tell you something. I get a call from George Elliott, Danny Bonilla, some of you, maybe all of you. You're kind to me when you get up in my grill and help me. 
And sometimes that hard thing is we're scared to death of getting around other people because we've been burned. You, you, I've been burned, but I've also found love and I found life. I never want to be vulnerable again. You got to, you got to risk again. You go through a divorce, you've got to, be, you've got to risk again, guys and girls. But do it right with some wisdom and counsel. Correct? How many of you are getting anything out of this message? And then finally, take the journey in community. We're better together. I have a connect group. And we're like not highly spiritual in the group. We laugh a lot. Sometimes we help problem solve. We try to do the notes. If guys would just shut up and listen a little bit. But I watch my group and I see my guys, they're growing. Well, what if there was a panel analyzing your group? They'd say it sucked, except people are growing. But what would happen if they saw how much I'm, some gal's thinking I'm, I'm over-parenting my child? Well, that child probably needs to know that someone cares for them a lot more than, hey, you're on your own. The jury's still out. How many of you say, I want to I die broke. I want to spend my coins in the playing field. I want to live. I want to love. I want to change. It's going to take me finding a health community around me. It's going to take a health community. Who's my health community? It's the people that I know that can yell at me. And when I'm hurting, they can cry with me. In this life, we're very fragile. All of us are. We need people that care about us. Care enough to just cuss us out or chew us out or use Christianese on us, which is like cussing. You uncircumcised Philistine, why did you do that? Okay. Finally, keep reading the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. First thing that we do week after week is to help people be able to join God. God did everything to join mankind. Created us, gave us a great blackboard to write on. He gave us the earth. The earth is full of nutrients and minerals and things that can produce plants, things that we eat. But the greatest purpose that God made in making the universe and making man is to have a family. The Bible teaches us that we've offended God by our behavior, that all of us have turned away and become unprofitable, that we, we are hopeless to get to God by just saying we're going to do better or pay it forward. There's only one solvent that can take away the stain of sin out of your life, and that's the blood of Jesus. And it's humbling because there's nothing you can do but say, I need help. You, 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 becoming a Christian is not a pledge that you will never fail again. What it is, it's a pledge that for the rest of eternity, you believe that only one can take away your sin, and that's Jesus. And it's a desire to be made clean and to walk in his image and likeness. The Bible said that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, he'll take away your shame. You'll not be ashamed. And so week after week, people come down I'd like everyone that's hearing you say, man, I'd like to join God. I don't, 
know a whole lot about it, but I do know I'm feeling something and I'd, I want to be right with God. I would like to receive Jesus. I'd like all of you to step down here. We want to pray with you. Come down and stand in front of these guys. We pray with you. We don't make you pray aloud or confess all your sins. Start coming. I believe there's a number of people here. It's time. Been thinking about it. It's time to commit. It's time to say, I need God. I need God. I want to do it. Yeah. I believe there are more folks here. Come on down. We want to... I'm pushy about getting people saved because I, I think living outside of Christ just sucks. <laughs> and living with him is so much better, even if he puts me through uncomfortable things. If you're here and you've not called on God's name, maybe you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Steve, I've, I've just disgraced myself. I haven't been a good Christian, but I want to come home. I want to get it right. Come on down. We want to pray with you. It's not, not so we can get numbers. We don't have a quota we have to get every week. It's really about getting people in the family where all these good teachings can really profit you. When you have God, the Holy Spirit, working through your life, it helps you. Hallelujah. You just um, want to have the girls face you. And uh, we're just going to pray this prayer. Would you all pray with me? Dear Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you have called me to be your child. I acknowledge that I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. That is your standard. And I need the blood of Jesus to wash away my sin. I believe that Jesus is a son of God, that he died for my sins and he rose again. I believe that as I call on your name, you will save me. I call on your name, dear Father. And I pray that you would save me. You'd take away my guilt and my, sh and my shame. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Real briefly, I'd like to pray with the rest of you. How many of you know that we all have those off-ramps to uncomfortable situations? We avoid, we detour. I know that you're not going to get all of the on-ramps working in one week, but how many will give some energy to say, God, help me to be a lot more transparent so that I can offer life and you got to demonstrate it. You got to be teachable. I'm a confronter, but I take confrontation too. You hear me? How many of you are saying, I'm going to give some energy to that. This is the way of life. Get those hands up. You guys are all in. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to say a prayer over you this time. Father, I pray for everybody with their hands up and my hands are up. We never get past needing to stay uncomfortable for the process of change. Lord, I pray that as this teaching has unfolded and you've enlightened in our hearts some areas where we need to be a little bit more open, maybe we need to respond and not just flame somebody because we lost something 
Lord, help us to be confrontary when necessary, but be healing and nurturing and gentle when necessary. I think, Lord, we're just praying that we would walk more in the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, that you would help me and us to not duck out and avoid the discomfort. But Lord, help us to run a few marathons <laughs> and understand that all that goodness happens when we get out of the comfort zone. That's where the gain is, is when we're outside the comfort zone. Build up your people, Lord. Grant them peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.